0: The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguar. Presenting Season 5, Waiting On. This is a bonus season that falls between the written books 2 and 3 and is only available via our free podcast. As always, thank you to our beloved fans and loyal listeners. And now, we begin. Aces and Eights, written by Veronica Jagger and Mercedes Lackey. Not all Echo operatives kept to a standard nine to five schedule that brought them to the main campus. Some spent the entire day on patrol, the slow crawl up peach tree a necessary evil to reach any critical area. Others maintained a staggered schedule that brought them to the facility early in the morning for a three on, two off switch that mimicked the paramedic crews. Still others operated from remote facilities and only came to Atlanta for major meetings or emergencies. Klaus Cotton kept to his own schedule, driven by solely luck and fortune. On his good days, he spent eight to twelve hours on patrol alongside Shakti and Corby, responding to calls from the Echo Dispatch. With that trademark grin that stretched his reddened complexion and punctuated his call sign of handsome devil, Klaus demonstrated his luck by dodging bullets, pulling off impossible stunts, evading the more dangerous punches, and charming the most cantankerous bystanders into not pressing charges for the more serious property damage. On his bad days, Klaus didn't get out of bed. Just going to the bathroom was a precarious exercise, and entering a kitchen full of sharp knives and temperamental appliances was out of the question. When the bad days hit, Klaus stayed in his pajamas and weathered the day with reruns of Charlie's Angels and The Mod Squad until Shakti brought home Thai curry for dinner. He'd go to bed and hope for a better start to the day in the morning. Klaus Cotton was ruled by his luck. When it was good, it was very, very good. When it was bad, it was lethal. Not just lethal to him, but lethal to anyone around him. Klaus started every morning with the same routine. He would roll over and sweep the worn deck of cards from the nightstand, shuffling them as he yawned. Then he would lay out five, face down on the bedsheets, and decide on two to replace. Some days... He felt good enough to just take the hand he was dealt. Other days, he would swap out a few and try to improve the chances. Depending upon the luck of his draw, he decided whether to get out of bed and begin the day, or roll over and wait things out until the next morning. Today, he shuffled the cards expertly, taking a moment to use Shakti's shoulder as a convenient level surface. She swatted him away with one arm as another pulled the sheets up and two more curled her pillow closer. Klaus grinned and sat up a bit straighter, putting down the five cards with a flourish. Today didn't feel like a swap-out sort of day, so he replaced the deck on the nightstand and wiggled his fingers over the cards. Eight of Diamonds. Not bad, but not great. He flipped the next card. Eight of Clubs. Two pair was a decent way to start, and that much would let him get out of bed. He turned over the next two and let out a whoop of delight. Eight of spades plus the ace of spades, three of a kind with an ace high. Klaus swung his feet around and placed them firmly on the floor, flipping the final card over as an afterthought and not looking back. He didn't turn around until Shakti's voice called him from the bathroom. "'That's a full house, yes?' We can go for coffee. Klaus frowned, toothbrush hanging out of his mouth as he peered around the door. Three of a kind, baby! Ace high. Shakti shook her head and showed him the last card, the Ace of Clubs. Two aces and three eights. One pair and three of a kind. Full house. Klaus's complexion paled to something resembling strawberry yogurt as the toothbrush fell to the floor. With infinite caution, he padded across the room and gingerly slid between the covers. You get the coffee, he murmured into the pillow. I'll keep the space warm until you get back. She frowned at him, smoothing his hair back as he burrowed deeper between the sheets. But that's a good hand. A full house. You always go out when you get a full house. Not leaving. He pulled the covers over his head for good measure. That's the dead man's hand, babe. Big neon sign that says, handsome devil should keep his ass in bed today. You're not reading it right. Now that's just ridiculous. Shakti threw back her covers and stood, rolling her shoulders, all four of them. I don't see the logic in your being so overly dramatic. You may see it as a poor hand, but in terms of mathematical probability, that would win in a game. (sighs) Not leaving... One eye peeked from beneath the sheets to watch his girlfriend ready herself for the day and slip into her tailored Echo uniform. It had to be tailored to accommodate four arms. Maybe you should stay home, too. Bad movie marathon, starting with horrible spy movies. No Klaus. We can skip the parodies and go straight to the ones that took themselves seriously, he wheedled. You know all of the Jamie Lee Curtis lines." "No Klaus." She finished the buttons and slid into her boots. "One of us has to be there. I don't trust the new administration, especially the new bodyguard. We can't raise their suspicions by not being there." A petulant groan came from beneath the sheets, but no argument followed. Shakti buckled her utility belt and pulled her dark hair into a long tail, then went to kiss the top of the sheets. "'I'll come back early, once the patrols are done. "'With curry,' she added. "'Promise?' "'Promise.' Ramona rested her head against the steering wheel and keyed up her echocom unit. On her way back from the CCCP headquarters, a boring traffic jam had transformed into a nightmare and a flashback to the invasion, courtesy of a death sphere and two Kriegers. They had slammed into Grant Field at Bobby Dodd Stadium and were crossing the interstate. Lunch rush at the Varsity meant a high volume of people with a higher probability of casualties— and all because a lot of someones had wanted a chili cheese dog with a frozen orange. She'd wanted a BLT and a Diet Coke, and she'd gotten a mess of space Nazis. Ramona waited for the telltale hum of the echo comb, then spoke as calmly as possible while opening her car door. Detective Ferrari at the intersection of North and Spring. We have one sphere, two soldiers, and a whole lot of civilians. Requesting immediate assistance... That doesn't sound like a good lunch break, detective. Vicky's voice on the channel devoted to Overwatch sounded strange and tense. We've got more than a few other sightings, so CCCP's resources are stretched a little thin. Thin enough that Chug is out there solo. It looks like the Kriegers are making a big push here, aiming for civilian casualties. Echo's your best bet. Fantastic. Ramona crouched behind the car and repeated the call. As awful as it seemed, the majority of the civilians knew to hurry for the underground tunnels of the train stations, away from the field and the more memorable landmarks. That left far fewer people who would need saving as a result of their own stupidity, but it didn't make the Kriegers disappear any faster. A big push? Why? Why now? To test Verd's nerve or his ability to command echo? Sensing weakness? that might be their one mistake. If she knew anything about Dominic Verdigris, it was that he was utterly, utterly ruthless. Or is it to get him to toss as many echo metas at this as he can, figuring they can pick us off? If that was the plan, then Verdigris just might go along with it and use this as a way to get rid of potential troublemakers." She was about to make the call a third time, but a woman's cool and measured voice answered. Shakti en route, detective. Leader of the pack is with me, along with Jamaican Blaze. Two minutes out. Lucky me. Are you bringing Klaus with you? We need the marksmanship to land the specialized rounds from CCCP. Ramona cringed as the overpass trembled five meters ahead of her car and began a slow backpedal. I've got the delivery in the trunk, but I'd rather him with the trigger. Negative. Call sign Handsome Devil is not on duty. ETA 90 seconds, detective. Ramona made a face and gripped the comm more tightly. Not on. This is an emergency. You tell him that unless he's bleeding or puking, he'd better have his tight red butt out here as soon as possible. Seconded. Vicky piped in, breathless, on the official channel CCCP shared with Echo. Gamayune asks me to translate that this is a coordinated attack and they're hitting hard. No benchwarming today. We can't afford it. No answer came from the Echo channel. Ramona offered a curse and rose on her knees to get to the trunk. She remembered all too well the way that the Kriegers had shifted their attention during the firefight at the diner. Back then, she had kept somewhat safe in the freezer while the echo-operatives faced the sphere and the soldiers. If one of them decided to take a sudden interest in her now, it would be a case of how long she could run before they left her a plasma streak on the concrete. It wasn't a pleasant thought to have, but she managed to lift the trunk and slide out the hard side case that held the extra ammunition. The other case held the launcher, which she could put together in under a minute. In that minute, she expected to hear the whine of a jetpack or a chorus of barking as Echo came to her position. Ramona heard the barking, but it came through her comm unit. Heading for five points instead, Shakti. Crowd control. Understood. Handsome devil... Your presence is demanded on the field. The detective thought she detected a touch of exasperation in Shakti's usually calm voice. Corby, you'll need to get him here. Three steps ahead of you, love. Don't worry. Corby's words came warm and cheerful, solace as Ramona worked quickly to assemble the launcher while reinforcements arrived. I'll bring Klaus to you in no time. Handsome Devil kept uncharacteristically quiet as Corby streaked through the midday sky. In the distance, he could see smoke rising over the interstate. A sphere flailed, two joints engulfed in flames. Corby saw it as well, shifting and catching an updraft to rise above the skyscrapers. We're nearly here, ladies. Where should I bring your good luck charm? Corby called over the channel. Klaus grunted a response more from worry than discomfort, but Corby shifted his hold ever so slightly. Better now? No, this isn't a good idea. He didn't look down so much as away from the other echo operative, trying to muster some bit of resolve. It's all wrong. It's dangerous. Corby sighed, exasperated. Really? "'And here I thought we were just taking an early tea for your good health. "'Honestly, danger's a part of the game. "'In fact,' he added, circling back to the interstate, "'I've been under the impression it was your favorite part.' "'Only on Tuesdays.' "'It was a weak attempt at a joke, and the handsome devil couldn't laugh. "'Look, can you just please take me home? "'I shouldn't be out here today.' They dove toward the interstate, Corby's grip tight as they banked to the right. "'Plenty of folks shouldn't be out here today. That's why we got called, remember?' The high whine of the Krieger's cannons drowned out Klaus's weak protest, and Corby careened into a suicide dive to avoid the burst of plasma. The shot passed them by a few feet, but the heat activated the nanoweave in their suits nonetheless.' Klaus screwed his eyes shut as they skimmed the tops of the cars and made a hard pull-up to avoid a second shot. "'Don't land!' Ramona's voice screeched in their comm units as well as from the ground. They had missed the trio by inches. If Klaus had bothered to keep his eyes opened, he would have seen his foot almost clip the back of Shakti's head. "'You've got one tracking you in the sky, and it's keeping him busy. We've nearly got the sphere down.' Nearly. Shakti hefted the launcher onto a shoulder and steadied the sight. Next to her, Blaze focused on the flames at the joints of the sphere, her hands outstretched and her thin face tense with concentration. The ammunition still isn't reliable. Ramona shrugged helplessly. It's best I could do on short notice. I'm a detective, not a weapons expert. We need to keep them off our position so Blaze can do what she does best, and then you'll need to take out the pilots when they go down. Corby grunted and shifted his grip. Looks like we'll be having our own dogfight up here, then. We'll keep this one off of you while you bring the bigger ugly down. Devil and me, we got this. Right? Klaus fought off the overwhelming urge to vomit over the battered parking lot of the Varsity. Instead... He reached for both of his pistols and tried not to dislodge himself from Corby's iron grip. Something like that. Let's just make it quick. I've got a bad feeling about... Concrete popped in staccato beneath them, the overpass unable to sustain the weight of the second Krieger. Abandoned cars tumbled toward the collapse, metal screeching against metal. Both paused, heads swiveling toward the trio using the echo car as cover. Before either could call out a warning, Corby and Handsome Devil saw twin blasts hit the asphalt and send cars flying. Rock, glass, and metal shot into the air, swirling up and around them. Corby pulled up into the right, coming between the Kriegers too close for them to retaliate. Klaus fumbled one pistol and it slipped from his hand, hitting the Thulian armor below with a pathetic clink. Bad feeling confirmed. Request for the gorgeous four-armed operative to open up a can of whoop-ass from her position. Klaus tried to smile at his feeble comedy, but the expression came out as little more than queasy. He winced as Corby shrugged him up for a steadier grip and focused on not dropping the remaining echo-issue weapon. Seriously, man, put me down and take one of the others. I'm useless today. Corby shook Klaus roughly, but they spiraled down to the parking lot of the varsity. Rather than land, Corby swooped down and let Klaus roll over the battered blacktop. The nano-weave took the brunt of the hit, but it managed to somehow rip across the collarbone and under one arm. Redskin exposed, he got to his feet and darted through the wreckage to find the echo team on the ground. should have stayed in bed. should have said I had measles or strep throat. Maybe flesh-eating bacteria. Maybe strep throat with flesh eating bacteria. He scrambled over a two door something with a blown out windshield and ran faster. Ahead, Corby dove down in a rush of black feathers and hauled a lithe figure in echo black into the sky. Unlike Klaus, Jamaican Blaze gracefully swung herself to Corby's back and extended her hand toward the smoldering sphere. Klaus slid behind the echo sedan as the fires burned white hot above the interstate. His heel jammed into Shakti's leg as she pulled the trigger on the launcher. The grenade went high and wide, missing the closest Krieger completely. Shakti whirled, her lips tight while she glared at Klaus. He managed an expression between sick and sheepish, but all he could say was... Cards. Cards? What does this have to do with cards? Ramona ignored the pitiful look that Klaus wore and loaded another round into the launcher. She sat back on her heels, her suit pants ragged at the knees. That's four of seven, by the way. After that, I don't know what we'll be able to do, other than call for backup. Shakti pursed her lips in momentary thought, then pushed the launcher at Ramona. In a flurry of clicks, four arms held four semi-automatic pistols. She motioned for Klaus to follow her. Once that sphere falls, shoot at one of the Kriegers. Signal Corby to bring Blaze within a safe distance. Ramona nodded firmly and shifted the launcher to her shoulder. And we're doing... what? Klaus crept after Shakti. She didn't look back at him. Buying them time. The seraphim streaked in from the east, She had, in the last twenty minutes, been over most of Atlanta. Thirty-nine select individuals owed their continued mortal existence to her intervention, though most had never even seen her. Most had simply felt the wash of heat as she intercepted a plasma beam. Two had seen a sphere inexplicably explode in mid-air. There had been no quieter way to save seven people that had been together at the time. Now she hovered above West Peachtree, observing the rush of people in the driveway and the sidewalks surrounding Fire Station 11 to the southeast. The walking wounded from the varsity had arrived as the engines had tried to leave, and the paramedic teams had split to triage the worst of the lot. As it was in every situation, she saw one or two people who had a larger role to play in the futures, and where it was permitted, she lent her assistance to help them in this time of need. They could not see her. If they looked to the sky, they saw a black-winged metahuman diving through the sky and dodging the blasts of the giant metal soldiers. They saw a young woman on his back, one hand stretched toward the fires on the sphere until they burned white-hot, and they cheered as the sphere caved in on itself from the heat. The seraphim's flames burned just as bright for a brief moment as the winged man seemed to see her, but he shook himself and turned to find the rest of his comrades. She followed, in part because she could, and in part because something told her that she should. The seraphim could only rarely intervene in these conflicts between the humans and the Thulians. Only if someone was vital to the futures could she act. And, for the most part, those actions were not exactly direct. Devastatingly final attacks on Thulian vessels were rare, no more than a handful of all the things she had done to save those select individuals. Some of Echo knew more of that aid than others, but few had seen her to understand that it had been aid rather than luck. This would not be a day in which she was the avenging fire. Mortals could not be permitted to depend on her for protection, and her intervention was more subtle now than it had been on the day of the invasion for that very reason. That was not why she was here. She was not an instrument of protection. The destruction continued below. Two figures darted between piles of rubble and wreckage, drawing the fire of the metal giants. The man with the black wings streaked beneath her, his charge clinging to his back. She felt their resolve and determination and followed, above and to their right. The seraphim was not permitted to assist these two, nor would they require her help. There was another, a choice that fell to her as white fire erupted on the chest of one giant metal soldier. The black-winged metahuman swept low to the ground and exchanged one charge for the other, feathers passing through her fire as he rushed upward. The one he left behind, she was not part of the choice. Red fire followed black wings closer to the fires, in anticipation of what would need to be done. Shakti allowed herself the smallest bit of relief as the handsome devil gave her a cocky grin. Whatever streak of poor luck that had found him that morning, it had stopped when he had lobbed the supposed dud grenade at the oncoming Krieger. It had cracked upon contact, fire bursting from the metallic chest in a brilliant flare. Corby carried Ramona to their position in the hope that Klaus could repeat such a shot with the remaining Krieger. "'Maybe I should take up pitching for the Braves. Think I'd look good in those funny shorts?' He mentioned to Corby, who sent Ramona next to Shakti. "'How about it? Wanna date in the Major Leagues?' Shakti rolled her eyes in silent reply. Ramona snorted something that sounded like a, "'You're right,' as she rolled her shoulders.' You'll need to land both of them. Blaze can't take much more of this. Poor thing's good, but she's running out of steam, and we don't have anyone here to give her a boost. Unless... She hoped Vicky had her ear tuned to the open Overwatch channel she had left going. No can do, Vicky put in quickly, for her ears only. We've got no fire chuckers not already engaged. If she's up and breathing, you'll need to make do. Roger. Ramona pushed the launcher at Klaus and leaned back against the car they used as cover. That's your cue. They won't last. The high whine cut through the air, the plasma burst splitting the car in two and sending the three hurtling into the air. Shakti caught the side of a light post with the fingers of one hand. Quick reflexes brought two of the other three arms around for a better grip, and she slid to the ground to land in a heap. Shrapnel filled the air and the ground shook as the Krieger loomed over their position. Somewhere in the rubble, a shot went off, liquid fire arcing from the ground to the knee joint of the metal soldier. Twin lances of plasma thundered from twin arm cannons. They moved at the speed of light, but the Seraphim's thought moved at the speed of the infinite. The moving futures froze, solidified. Solidified. The myriad paths laid down, not to be changed now that the moment to choose had come. She was here because there was one she must save. Now she knew who it was. There was only one of her, and even a seraph could not be in two places at the same time. There, that one. The others are of no consequence." no consequence to the futures, which would be the same with or without them. But for the one the seraphim chose, now that one was integral. In every one of those few paths that led to and through the blank that separated now from a future in which the Thulians did not engulf this universe in fire and blood, this one mortal was in them a wash of fire as she flashed down and interposed herself between the plasma bolt and Ramona Ferrari, as she had thirty-two times today. The coruscating energy struck her, and she absorbed it with a thought. The other raced towards Shakti. But the luck of the devil held, as a red and black blur rammed the forearmed Meta out of its path, reactions governed by an anticipation of what would be as keen in that instant as the Seraphim's own. And tears of deep grief welled from the Seraphim's eyes as the other lance struck its new target. Klaus Cotton, the handsome devil, saved the one he loved more than his own life. Good luck for Shakti, as he collected on the dead man's hand, vaporized by the blinding light, leaving behind only a fall of white ash. Smoke curled from piles of rubble at the varsity while two crews worked diligently to clear debris from the interstate by rush hour the next morning. The Echo team had returned to the campus, Corby first taking Blaze, and then Ramona who had called in the report to HQ. Just west of the overpass, Shakti knelt at a charred mound of stone. Two hands covered her face, the other two clinging to the rock and gravel. The skies had cleared, and the echo teams had returned, but she did not go. She could not go. There was a rush of warmth behind her. Shakti's shoulders sagged, hands still covering her face as she spoke. Her words came in the rough whisper of one unaccustomed to crying. He was supposed to be lucky. Lucky enough to miss things. Lucky enough to survive. The seraphim stood lightly on a similar pile of debris, her form muted a short distance behind the crying metahuman. She did not speak, even as Shakti trembled, angry and confused. One hand remained on the rock where Klaus had last stood. "'Where was his luck?' she demanded aloud. "'He was supposed to be lucky.' the reply carried on the wind. It was his choice, yet it was your luck. Luck is often the ability to anticipate the truest course. And when Shakti turned toward the warmth and the wind, nothing but earth and stone remained. You have been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, Season 5. This podcast is voiced and produced by Veronica Jger and is made possible through the amazing people at PodioBooks.com. Music is Exciting Trailer by the equally exciting Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. To keep up with podcasts and news about The Secret World Chronicle series published by Bayon Books, follow us on Facebook or at www.secretworldchronicle.com.